Wow, that's, uh, that's a nice introduction. Thank you. I, uh, I, to follow kind of the closer theme there, you could look at it different ways. Okay, so they invite you to do it, and then you're last. But you could say, okay, well, you're last, all right. So that means a lot of different things. It means about 25% of the people are gone. I'm actually impressed by this many people here. Uh, I thought we'd just kind of hold hands, sing kumbaya, and, you know, call it a night. But uh, I look at kind of using the baseball uh, the baseball analogy, all right? So the way I figured it is, I think Noel, where's Noel? Noel, in here? Right over there. Oh, yeah, way over there. Yeah. Wow, man, front row. Not, not right here where I could sweat on you, but okay, you're over there. Um, I think Noel pitched a good, solid starting pitcher, five innings. I mean, I think that's pretty good, you know, given it's playoffs and all, it's pretty decent. Uh, and, then, and then Ben came in. Ben, you, did a, you didn't suck at all. Uh, <laughs> That's, where's, where's Ben? I, yeah, Ben's right there, yeah. That's funny, because my wife, the first thing she says is, she goes, that didn't suck. <laughs> first thing she said, I said, didn't you? You said that. It was really great. It was good. So, man, I'm going to give you two innings for that. I mean, middle of relief, two innings, takes in the seventh inning. Kempton comes in as the setup man, right? Eighth inning guy. But he pitches so good. Kempton, are you here? Is there, is still, no? Kempton, uh, he pitches so well that they, they bring him up for the ninth. And he pitches two batters, so... Then they want the right-hander. Just for, I got to get one out. And the score is like six to one, so 25% of the people have already left, figured it's all good, right? One out. One out. That's all I got to do. It might be underhand, but we're going to get one out. To use it another analogy, think of it like uh, a football team, and there's this, they, they, work, they work hard to get, you know, say they start at their own like three-yard line. And, and they work their way all the way down to the goal line. And you need a guy that's going to punch it into the goal, right? The Minnesota Vikings had a guy in the, in the late 90s, 97 to 99. Anybody remember his name? Leroy Horde. Leroy Horde was the guy. He was the guy that would punch it into the end zone. And he has the best quote ever in the history of ever. He said this. He looked at his coach and he said, Coach, if you need one yard, I'll get you three. If you need five yards, I'll get you three. (laughs) I need one out. I'm getting you one out. That's all I'm getting, okay? So let's just set the expectations. If you set them down here and you come in just above them, then everybody's happy. Expectation management, right, Johnny? Right. I'm, I'm, uh, it's always, a, it's, it's always kind of fun in quotes to go last because uh, my topic is, was Jesus is bigger than you, right? And if you've noticed, all three of the other guys talked about that. So I'm just saying, <laughs> Jesus is bigger than you. Yeah, that's not your topic. It's my topic. Anyway, so that is, that's the, the thing I'm going to aim at here. You know, one of the things that, uh, Noel, I just wanted to bring this up. He brought up all the issues that are going on in Corinth. I have a slide back here. shows you all the different things that are going on. It's crazy. And if you really stop and just meditate on these things, and I'm not going to walk through them. I think Noel did a great job. But if you think about the problems in your church, um, man, I've never, I've never pastored or been, I've been a professional Christian for 30 years now. Uh, I always tell my people I get paid to be good. You're good for nothing, right? So, but the, the, uh, 
I make myself laugh. That's good. Um, I have never been in a ministry where I have to tell my people, stop going to pagan temples on Saturday night and having sex when you come to church on Sunday. Okay, could you stop doing that? And this is the Apostle Paul. This is what, he, this is what he's dealing with. And, and, and I, it, it, I remember I, when we went through 1 Corinthians 7, 8 years ago, whatever it was, and I remember studying the book, and then we were going to break it down into what we were going to preach on, and we got to chapter 1, verse 4, and I, and I just stopped there, and, and you did too, you did a great job. But that when the Apostle Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on for, what is it, 14, 15 more chapters, and just rips them to shreds. But the first thing he says is, I thank God for you. Man, if that doesn't hit you about what grace really is, that we're all pieces of work in progress here, and that Paul says, man, the first thing I want to let you know is I just thank God for you. Now stop going to pagan temples, right? It's a beautiful thing. So I thank God for, I don't mean that in this, but I thank God for you guys. I really do. The, the Midwest... Uh, Acts to him not to compare, but we're way better than all the other regions. <laughs> In just about every way. I, I mean, uh, that's not, we're from the Midwest and we're humble too, so it just has to be, has to be kind of true. I hope you've had a good time going through these things. This has been uh, really good for me that Jesus is bigger than whatever you're going through. And uh, Carolyn, I've had a chance to talk about this, just some things we're going through right now, and it's just Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus is bigger than that. It's a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. In 2010, I hit a crisis in my ministry. I would say it's probably a turning point. I had a conflict going on in the church that involved me. I was dead center at it. And uh, I, I honestly did not know if I would make it through it. I didn't know if I would uh, be able to keep my job, and, 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 and rightfully, perhaps rightfully so. And a lot of people in this room were heavily involved in all these kind of things. And uh, it was brutal. And I remember just crying out to God, why am I so bent out of shape about this? Isn't Jesus enough? Uh, I don't, uh, what, even if I do lose my job, it's okay. Jesus is enough. But I really, really wrestled with this. And two books really ministered to me. That simple little gospel, primer, primer, however you say it. Uh, and it's nothing new in there, okay? That little book, that gospel primer, so you say it. I, I, it's just the gospel, and, and Carol read it out loud when we're up in the Rocky Mountains, and she's reading it as I'm driving, and just spoke the words of the gospel to me. And then the second one was actually a business book by a man by the name of Patrick Lencioni. I've got a picture of Patrick here. Uh, we're not friends. This is not a, I just got this off the interwebs. But, uh, and he wrote a book called The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary uh, Executive. This book shaped me, and I have, it has refocused me in ways uh, about what I do. He, I'm going to put my own words into uh, Patrick. He doesn't say these this way, but I'm going to say it this way. If you ever read Patrick Lencioni, two-thirds of the book is a, is a kind of a fable, and then he gives some principles at the end. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the particular book. I, I, I'm going to ruin the book if you haven't read it. But in the four obsessions there, he talks about what do senior leaders do and what we do is we lead, but how, what do we lead in? The primary thing we do is we create culture. That's what you do. You create a culture. And how do you do that? And he says there's four things. I, I, I'm even going to mess with the order because I don't think they're right. I got a grid here. There's no way you're going to see that. Uh, there, yeah, you can't see that. But, but uh, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to mess with There's four things he says to do. 
And, and he puts number one and two, he flips them. And I think, I think very badly, to be honest with you. Uh, I would say number one is you have a vision. You have a mission. You, you, you have something that is worth going after. Number two, you, with an iron fist, get people on your team who are going to help you accomplish that. These are not just, just anybody. These are people that help you to become architects of the organization. Right? These are, they're big players. And he switches those two, and I think those are dangerous because you could have great people on the wrong, playing the wrong sport, right? And, and so, okay, so number one is vision. Number two is the team. Three, he says, over-communicate the vision. Your job is to communicate that. Your job is to communicate the culture, create that, what you're going after. Over-communicate it. Live it. Breathe it. Every time you see it. Uh, one of the things I tell people is, when I preach, here's the ten values. We have ten. We have seven. Seven values. We used to have ten. Seven values at Hope Community. How many of those do you hear in this sermon? You know, I, I, we, constantly, you're doing that. And then the last thing is you, you, you develop human systems to accomplish a vision. That's it. That's what you do. And I thought, dude, that is what I do. That is what I need to do. And that's where I want to lean in on as we get into First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 2. I think the Apostle Paul is showing something here about what it means to be a leader. And, and also, I want to talk to leaders today. He's specifically going to be talking about his preaching. So I'm going to lean in on that. I'm going to talk about how do you lead. Um, <clears throat> well, let me give a couple dead guys here first. I think the number one way that we lead is through the pulpit. I think we get an up. Op- where other organizations do you have where you get a chance every week to stand in front of your people and have a monologue for 45 minutes or so? Not this message. This is two and a half hours. But the, uh, why are they laughing? Why is it funny? Uh, but, you know, 45 minutes to dialogue about where we're going, who we are, who we are as people of God. What other, what other place do you get that? We get that. Now, th- if, if that's not your role, you're going to be in some place where you're communicating the Word of God. And if, even if that isn't your role, we can talk about some leadership principles here, okay? You'll see them. But I want to really dial in for those of us who are senior leaders of places or aspiring to be that, and you will lead through the pulpit, because that's where I think he is going to go here. So this, uh, the first guy, party like it's uh, 1657, there you go, uh, John Owen. By the way, it's the 500th anniversary, I don't know if you knew this, but 500th anniversary of the Reformation coming up October 31st. I have on, look at this, I'll even do, I had it on yesterday too, this is really awkward now, really awkward, censor, there we go, nailed it, right? Right? And way back there is Drew. I got this off his website, chuckandmarty.com. And if you use the code AXE29, you get 20% off, and I get 10% of that 20. So <laughs> now, if you're like me, it's quite ironic that a guy's making money off the Reformation. I'm just saying, way to go, Tetzel. Uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I get 10%, so I'm with you, brother. One of his shirts says, Tetzel's Indulgences, and then it says, Selling Salvation Since 1517. That is such an inside joke, but it's hilarious. But it's anyway. Okay, uh, party like it's 1517. The first and principal duty of a, of, of a pastor is to feed the flock by diligent preaching of the word. Or Richard Baxter, who wrote The Reformed Pastor, which is not about being reformed as much as much it is about being a pastor who the... The, the Spirit of God is constantly working in their life. 
uh, he says, I preach as never sure to preach again. What if this were it, man? What if you knew that you were going to get hit by that proverbial bus? What would you say in that message? And as a dying man to dying men. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, leading through gospel, leading through the gospel pulpit. So how do you do this in a gospel way? How do you lead with everything we've heard about in chapter 1? All the gospel realities and everything. God, Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul is going to bring them all up again. We're, uh, I'm tasked with all of chapter 2. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to hit on the first five verses. And I am going to go real quick through the rest of it. So we're going to... I've got five things here. Uh, they're numbered. I've got PowerPoint behind me. Everybody's happy. And if you're not happy, uh, that's Young and uh, Mallory's fault. So you can... Mallory at Acts29.com. All right. So let's get after this. I'm going to read the passage uh, through. Let's go ahead and read the passage through. I, I, I have it uh, uh, lit up here for portions of it, but let's go ahead and read it through. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. And it says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So, first principle. I think we're going one a verse. I think that's what we're going to do. One through five, if I remember right. Uh, so the first thing is the first one. Know with all your being that this ministry is not about you. Right? You, we've talked about this several times. I'm going to talk about it again because it's a major deal. Okay? If you look in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 4, God comes to Moses, says, you're my man. You're the guy. Moses says, I'm not the guy. Why am I not the guy? He says, because I'm not eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue, the Lord said to him. Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him... Blind. I love when God asks rhetorical, relatively sarcastic questions, right? Who, who made you think this is about you? Whoever said that? Is it, is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will ask and teach you what to say. This is the same guy later on. He gets such a relationship with God and wrestles through what ministry is. Do you remember what he asks for? Uh, and when, by the time we get to Exodus 33, Moses says to the Lord, listen, this is great. He's saying, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. So what does Moses want? He wants somebody. Give me a guy. I need a guy. That's his request. He says, you have said, I know you by name and have found favor with you. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. I love that. These are your people. And they're a mess, right? They're your people. And look at how God answers him. Uh, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's not what he asked for. But that's what he's getting. And Moses takes that to say, I didn't ask for that. I didn't even know that was on the table. Look at how he says. He says, if your presence does not go, with, go up with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know that we are pleased, that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you're by name. And then Moses reaches down into his biggest requests ever and says, now show me the glory. Right? Show me the glory. 
And God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, uh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will compassion whom I have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back. I just want to see Hollywood try to do. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what that looked like, but he doesn't get to see the face. But my face must not be seen. Don't touch the glory. Don't touch the glory. See? (laughs) You can ask to see it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Like I used to tell my kids, no touch. Spanky, spanky. Enjoy it. We're created to enjoy it. We're not created to touch it. I have a thing that I've written on the top of all the sermons I write. Uh, uh, and it just says, for his glory and our joy. And I try to remind myself of that because I constantly forget that. Everything we've been talking about here, even the work of, workshops I've had a chance to be part of, just remind you one more time, don't touch the glory. It's not yours. You get a front row seat and getting to see it, but you don't get to touch it. A lot of times I think people think that, and it's, it's kind of weird in a lot of ways, is that church planting has become sexy. It's kind of a rock star thing, right? You're this big rock star and you're going to, there's this great new Geico commercial where the guy's doing the triangle thing, you know, with all the moves from Back to the Future. And it, it's like, when, wait a minute now, I thought being a pastor was kind of geeky, you know? It is, it's kind of geeky. And a lot of us, I'm just going to say this, myself included, okay? A lot of us have risen to places of leadership that we would never would in secular society. Right? Chose the foolish things of the world. I'm not trying to rip on you because I think a lot of us, some of us struggle with this. I am, I'm all that. We have a phrase, and I'm not going to say it because uh, we're a mixed company here, but if you think you're big S something, uh, you're half right, is what we like to say. But the... <laughs> But a bunch of us wrestle the other way. And we're constantly reading the, I'm not good enough, I suck, you know, I'm nothing. Listen, both of those are pride. It's a, it's a preoccupation with self. Both of those are pride. Both of those are things. And, and just like uh, good old, uh, good old uh, Jack Nicholson, says, you can't handle the glory, right? Let me illustrate this. It, and this is only going to get worse when you guys, with youth guys, who are millennial types and, and younger. Uh, so I was in Rio. I went, I went to Brazil with Noel and a bunch of other people. One of the things we did is we went and saw the, the, the massive uh, Art Deco Jesus, right? And it's massive. I think I, I, I didn't write down here. I think it's 41 feet. I mean, it's, it's this massive statue of Jesus. And it's cool. I mean, it is very cool. You go there. Now, one of the things that interested me when I took this picture was... I, I studied the picture for a while, and I blew up the bottom of the picture. So go ahead and do that. Next one. And now, and I know it's a stairway, so I don't want to put too much into this. But let me just show you in this picture how many people are actually looking at Jesus. Three. It, it, it Maybe the, the guy in the middle, there might be two. Okay, so he's taking a picture. That guy's glancing up. The guy with the bald spot there is glancing up. And the gal, she's turned that way up there with the 
with their jean shorts. That's three. I want you to see how many picture, how many people are either looking at their phones or taking a selfie. Here's Jesus. Here's me. There you go. Boom. That's the amount of people that are either looking at their phone, you're standing next to Jesus, and you're looking at your phone. Think about that. Right? Or you're taking a selfie because that's what's important. Now, I want to talk just for a second to the millennials in the room. All right? There's actually a button on the phone in the upper right-hand corner that turns the phone away from you. I don't know if you knew that, but it does. It, it turns it away from you so you could take pictures of things other than yourself. Come on now. <laughs> J.I. Packer says it this way. The subject of the old gospel was God and his ways with men. The subject of the new is man and the help God gives him. There is a world of difference. Or C.S. Lewis, who, uh, one of my heroes, he likes to say, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. What if I actually just got caught up in God and other people that I, that I don't, I'm not like consumed either high or low with myself. Number one, it is not about you. Number two, I want you to become, and I hopefully you are in a good culture to do this. I want you to become obsessed with and preach always the precious message of the crucified Christ. I want you to become gospel experts. I want you to become obsessed with it. Academically and personally. I want you to the end of your life, say like John Newton said. My, my memory is fading and I don't know much, but two things I know, right? I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. Do that. Listen to this. If you don't like UFC, I'll pray for you. But, but um, uh, Conor McGregor said this. He talks about himself. And here's what he actually says. He says, there's no talent here. This is hard work. This is an obsession. Talent does not exist. We're all equal as human beings. You could argue that a little bit. But you could be anyone if you put in the time. We'll, we'll, you will reach the top and that's that. I'm not talented. I'm obsessed. I got... <laughs> this is Captain Obvious, but I make a living on Captain Obvious. People who are in ministry, Acts 29 pastors, planters, uh, workers, staff, volunteers, whatever. Be obsessed with Jesus. Be obsessed with the person of Jesus Christ, the blood-stained cross, and all the theology that goes with it. Be obsessed with that. Look what Paul says here in verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's a man of one message. He's a one trick pony. So, I want, you to, I want you to do good theology. I want you to think through how all the Bible story. We like to use this thing in our church all the time that there's this big story. And, we, and I, I tell people if they're brand new to the Bible, there's four parts to the Bible. There's creation, and then there's fall, and then there's a redemption story, and then there's a, a, a restoration, the way it's going to end, right? There's the whole Bible. Four things. And I tell them, the first two chapters are the way things were supposed to be. The third chapter is how things fall apart. And then the last two chapters in the Bible are the way things are going to be one day. They'll be restored. Right. If you read five chapters of the Bible, you got three quarters of the story. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
The rest of it takes a little while, to, right? The, 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 right? From when they get, uh, get loincloths or whatever, or, you know, some, some animal dies and they get skin, all the way down to Jesus Christ, the implication of the church. Be, be people who are completely obsessed with that. Also, though, be obsessed with what, what uh, Chandler calls gospel in the air and gospel on the ground. Be obsessed with, hey, I was a navigator. This is what we used. Two cliffs and a bridge and a prayer. I know it sounds overly simplistic. Don't miss that. It's God. It's us. There's sin in between. Jesus Christ paid the penalty. We need to respond. April 21st, 1983. How many people were alive in April 21st, 1983? Yeah. Oh, children. Want the children come front for children's church now? Um, (laughs) April April 21st, 1983. Someone shared that message with me. And in a shower in Frontier Hall at the University of Minnesota, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I didn't say the right words. I didn't, do, I didn't know what I was doing. I was in the shower, so it wasn't later until I realized that didn't count as baptism and all that kind of thing. <laughs> but it changed my life. Somebody just took a chance, told me about two cliffs, a bridge, and a prayer. Don't, don't underestimate that. Be experts on it. Third thing, be afraid. Be very afraid. The Apostle Paul, this is my hero, right? The Apostle Paul, uh, Noel, Noel talked about this in Acts chapter 18 when Jesus says, don't be afraid. You only tell someone to not be afraid when they're afraid, right? So Apostle Paul is afraid. And Jesus says, stay here, don't quit. Why? Because he was thinking about quitting, right? Verse 3 says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. This is the Apostle Paul. He was scared spitless. Listen to what... Uh, 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 I, I pastor a church that's two blocks from Bethlehem Baptist Church. So I always tell people, yeah, if you want to go down there, I hear that Pipper guy can preach. The, uh, <laughs> let me read one of Pipper's quotes here. He says, this is from his book, The Supremacy of God in Preaching. How utterly dependent we are on the Holy Spirit in the work of preaching. All genuine preaching is rooted in the feeling of desperation. You wake up on a Sunday morning and you can smell the smoke of hell on one side and feel the crisp breezes of heaven on the other. You go to your study and look down at your pitiful manuscript and you kneel down and cry, Oh God, this is so weak. Who do I think I am? What audacity to think that I, in three hours my words will be the odor of death to death and the fragrance of life to life. My God, who's sufficient for these things? Phillips, Philip Brooks, Phillips Brooks used to counsel pe- preachers with these words, never allow yourselves to feel equal to your, t- to your work. If you ever find that spirit growing on you, be afraid. Be afraid. And one reason to be afraid is because your father will break you and humble you. Is there any reason to think that God should fit you for the ministry any, of preaching any differently than did Paul? You, it happens to me every time before I speak, okay? Every time before I speak. Uh, I'm just going to be a little vulnerable here. About 50% of the time before I speak, and I'm, I was a public school teacher. It doesn't bother me to public speak. That's not it. It's something about preaching. 50% of the time before I preach, I have diarrhea. And it's like, okay, here we go. And I like that. I, 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 I don't want to lose that. I, I, I don't want to be that guy that's just okay with this. There's something happening here. There's a, there, I'll get into that in just a minute. I bring nothing to the table here, God. Fourth thing. Fourth thing. Fourth verse. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
That encourages me. I come from a, I come from a mining town. Those of the, the people who go to my church realize that I create words that aren't words, and mostly because I'm terrible with words. I just, I, I, I am not a good talker, speaker thing. So I'm not. I'm, I, and, but this encouraged me. This is my, not with wise and persuasive words, not eloquence. There wasn't, that wasn't what happened. But we have a place in this. I'm going to come back to this. We have a place, right? He still preached. He did his work. Listen to even what he says here in, later on in the book in chapter 3. He says, what after all is Paul... Apollos, what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his own task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered, but God made it grow. God made it grow. You never made anything grow. Ever. Ever. You just put it in the ground. Another guy comes by and puts some water on it, and it grows. And God does that. And then he says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who makes them grow. For the one who plants and the one who waters have, a, have one purpose, and they'll each be recorded according to their own labor. But you don't make anything grow. You don't. If people change, it's God. If your church grows, it's God. It's God. Don't, don't touch the glory. Now, let me go back to uh, the passage here. And go, go to this, uh, go right one more. There you go. And it says, he says, it wasn't with this wise and persuasive words, but it was with this demonstration of the Spirit's power. So I remember when I, I, I used to read this and I thought, oh man, Paul would preach and there would just be this signs and wonder kind of show thing happening. But I want to walk, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Or at least I, I don't think that's the completion of what he's talking about in this particular passage. I think the Apostle Paul had signs and wonders. I, I vote yes. I, I, if God wants to do that in our church... I vote yes every time. I like that. That's a good thing. Um, but what is meant by this demonstration of the Spirit's power in 1 Corinthians uh, 2 4? I want to read the rest of the chapter because I think he answers it. Look at, let's go ahead and read it. Uh, he says, verse 6 We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You just don't put God on a cross if you got it. They didn't get it. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, uh, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We've not received the Spirit of, of the world, but the Spirit who is from God... That is why, that is, uh, uh, excuse me, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. So here's he's saying, this is what, this is what happens when I speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit expressing, matters your translation here, the best translation is spiritual to spiritual. That's what it says, and the English translators don't know what to do with it, and so uh, whatever version you got, they, add, they put a little words there. It's like, what does that mean? Spiritual to spiritual. I'm going to come back to that verse. I highlighted it for a purpose. Let me finish the chapter. Uh, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness for and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit who makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord? So as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, I want to back up just to verse 13 there. I think that's the answer. 
the answer to what I think the demonstration of the Spirit's power is, is that the Spirit was working in and through Paul, and it came, and it went to people, and it went in their ears, and it came down into their heart, and it transforms them. That's, I think that's what the demonstration of the Spirit's power is. Those of you who have been preaching for a while, I didn't do it today, but I usually wear glasses because I can see, like watching time-elapsed photography of grass girl, I can see that happening in the congregation. I know it sounds weird, but you can see it. And you can see how people are getting it, and they're maybe sitting up more. There's just things you can see, and I wear glasses, not so I can see my message as much as I can see the people. That's what it is. So if you're a communicator of God's Word, all you are, all you are, is a straw. That's it. All right? Right? Now, unlike a straw, don't suck. <laughs> Just kidding. The, all you are is a vehicle that the Spirit of God is going to come through and He's going to go out. That's it. And the only way to mess this thing up, and again, Captain Obvious, this little graphic is great. When a straw is unobstructed, it is easy to blow air all the way through. But when the end is blocked off, you cannot blow air into it. <laughs> Enough said? Got the point? You see this with Jesus. Uh, uh, just for the sake of time, I'm going to scoot here a little bit forward. But uh, you see this Jesus in Luke chapter 24 where... Uh, you see, he opens their minds to the to the uh, the scriptures, and then they're and before they say when they walk with him on the earth after the resurrected Jesus, was our heart not burning within us? Right. It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So let me kind of summarize this. John Maxwell wrote a book. He wrote a book called The Twenty One Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. This is the revised edition. It's ironic because he changed three of them, but that's another whole thing. Um, <laughs> Actually, it's not a bad book. I, I read the book. It's actually not a bad book, but it was kind of funny. You just changed three rules of the irrefutable rules. Um, if, if I were to write a book, uh, there we go. Um, I, uh, I only have two rules. I got two. Number one, it ain't about you. Get over yourself. It's not about you. If you don't get number one right, your people will just follow you because it's about you. And, man, the, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going duck hunting here after this. I'm going down to a little bit of, uh, south of Jamestown, going to go duck hunting. But when I'm pheasant hunting, which we do out there too, the point of a good pheasant dog is to do what? Point to the pheasant. That's your job. Point to Jesus, Okay. But the analogy breaks down. Don't shoot Jesus, okay? So that's... Every analogy breaks down. It's not about you. Number two is a leader. Totally counterintuitive. It's all about you. It totally matters. You set culture. You preach. You work hard. You're in this thing. But don't ever think you get to touch the glory. You got to keep those two things in tension. And it's scripture. You see it all over the place. Listen, look at Paul later in 1 Corinthians. He even says this. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't deserve to be called an apostle because I actually persecuted the bride of Jesus. I was slapping up silly that Jesus is bride. And then he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. My story is my story, man. I'm a poster child for grace. 
And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. See, Paul got the two rules, right? He got the two rules right there. Yet not me, but the grace of God that was given me. Use the gifts to give the giver of the gifts glory. Whatever God has given to you, use those gifts to give him glory. Fifth and last deal. Verse 5. I, mean, I better read the whole sentence here. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Piper, the, I, I cut the last thing he says in that other quote. So let me quote the end of it. He says this, The goal of preaching is the glory of God in the glad submission of his people. I love that phrase, glad submission. It means they are willingly and joyfully saying yes to God and his ways and the gospel, everything. Yes, I want that. That's the goal. That's your goal. Make that your goal. That's what you want. You're insatiable. You're obsessed with that. I have three things that I think through every... every I, I'm from the Iron Range of... I keep things kind of simple. And I once told John that I'd interned there for four years. And when we started Hope, he said, things are going, looks like things are going well. I said, yeah, they're going well. And I said, I'm basically making a living taking what you say and bringing it down so people can understand it. And so <laughs> I, I call that creativity. But, you know, you can call it whatever you want. And so I, uh, but I got three things I like to tell myself before I preach. Before I leave my office, I got three things. Number one, is Jesus Christ the hero of this sermon or am I? Or is somebody else? Is Jesus the hero? Are they going to fall more in love with Jesus or Hope Community or me or whatever? Okay? Two, whatever I'm bringing up, is the gospel the answer? Because if it's not, I just made a legalist. Try harder. You suck. Try harder. Bad message. Doesn't work. And number three, it's a little bit unrelated, but I'll just tell it to you anyway. Am I honoring the sacred trust? And what I mean by that is, um, never once in 21 years of being the pastor at Hope Community have I ever told anyone privately or publicly to, to bring a friend. But I, we preach in such a way so we expect non-believers to always be amongst us. And they are. And I know this week that somebody took a chance and invited their coworker, their neighbor, maybe their roommate. They invited them. And am I going to honor that sacred trust? You know what the best, the most, uh, the best uh, compliment I can get about my preaching is not, oh man, you're really funny, or that was really great, or I love the way you handle that passage, or whatever. It's not. Here's the greatest compliment. Hey, Trike, I want you to meet Bob. Bob's my coworker. He came to church with me today. Dude, that is the highest compliment, because they're, they're trusting you with that. Am I going to take that seriously? C.S. Lewis wrote a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. I'm sure you probably read them to your kids. We read them to our kids. And in Prince Caspian, they're taking a trip back, back to Narnia. One of the people is, is Lucy. And there's a lion in there. If you've never read the books, there's a lion named Aslan. He represents Christ. And she comes back, and she's excited to see him. And here's what she says. Here's the interaction. Aslan says to her, welcome, child, he says, and, and she says, Aslan, said Lucy, that's one of the main characters, you're bigger. And he says, that's because you're older, little one, answered he. <clears throat> and she says, 
not because you are? And he says, I am not. But every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. So here's how I'd like to close today. Um, I'm going to follow my Baptist brethren here who had you stand. And I, I, I'm going I'm to pray in just a moment, and I want you to ask God one thing from the last two days. One thing that he would say, yeah, I want you to lean in on that one thing. Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe it might have just been a side conversation. You had a dinner with someone. I don't know. One thing that he's impressing on you as you leave here, say, that's it. And I'm going to pray. And when you think of that one thing, I want you to stand. And then after I'm done praying, I want you to turn towards someone next to you, at most three, because I'm just going to give you about 90 seconds to do this. I want you to share that with one another. Okay? You got it? All right, let me pray. And as these things come to, your, come to your mind, go ahead and just stand up. I know what my one thing is, at least one. Jesus, I am so comforted by the fact that you are not just a philosophy and that you're not just a doctrine and you're not just an idea. I am so comforted that you're a person and that, that you take you take pitiful things like we try to do to communicate about you and you pat us on the head and you say well done even though it was pitiful and yet you draw people to yourself and so I pray you do that even with us if, if we want to reach people with the gospel we first and foremost need to be gospel people so I pray that you would right now just be communicating one thing to folks and that they would stand as those one things are coming what one thing what one thing are you bigger than in their marriage, maybe, in their family, in their own life? What one thing was said this, these last two days that could really encourage us? Lord, and then we just, we want to take a moment just to confess that to one another. And, and maybe it's something fairly private, and you just want to say, God's dealing with something in an area of my life that I need to repent of, or it's an area in my family that we are really asking God to show up, and that's okay. But God, that we would uh, share this with one another. God, the worst thing about coming to something like this is if we walk away and we just forget about it. God, make us different. Make us people who are effective communicators of your gospel for your glory and for our incredible joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn towards someone close to you and just share the one thing God has impressed upon you. Do that real quick.